0: Hi, everyone, and welcome. You are listening to Speeching It Real, a podcast where I interview future and current speech-language pathologists. Here, you can learn all about what it's like to get started in the field, see how paths and interests change, and connect with people going through the same things you are. I am your host, Chris Ubieta, and I am currently a second-year grad student at CU Boulder. Quick disclaimer, all statements and opinions on this podcast are not reflections of the organizations or schools associated with the speakers. Each person's words reflect their own opinions, including my own. Hey guys, I am so excited for this week's episode. It is super special because it is the first episode in a three-part back-to-school series. Today we're joined by two graduate students who share a social media account, Kelly and Raquel. Kelly just started her first year at Monmouth University in New Jersey. Her goal is to work in the medical field, particularly with pediatric patients. Raquel is a second year graduate student at Sacred Heart University in Connecticut. She aspires to work with pediatrics and is open to various settings. Her niche areas of interest include late talkers and autism. Both Callie and Raquel majored in Communication Sciences and Disorders at Bloomsburg University in Pennsylvania. We had so much fun on this episode learning about one another's programs and chatting about all things grad school. So let's just jump right into it. Hi everyone and welcome back to Speeching It Real. I have Raquel and Callie on today. I am super duper excited to welcome them, hello.
1: Hi, I'm Callie. I'm Raquel.
0: (laughs) Hi, guys. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourselves before we go into it?
1: Sure. I'm Callie. I'm 22 right now. I am a first year grad student at Monmouth University, and I'm currently about to finish my summer semester there. And then, for where I'd like to be in the future, I'd like to see myself in a sort of medical setting. I like the idea of working with trauma patients, but Definitely flexible. Awesome. So like I said, I'm Raquel. I am
2: in my second year at Sacred Heart University located in Fairfield, Connecticut. I would like to hopefully end up in a school, but I'm not really sure what age range I'm interested in the most. So we'll see. Hopefully I'll be able to figure that out in my externships coming up. Love it. So how did you two first, how did you guys meet? Yeah. (laughs) So we went to the same undergraduate university, which is Bloomsburg. Um, It's now known as the Commonwealth University of Pennsylvania. We both joined an LC, which is a learning community. And basically in this, you typically live with people in the same college as you. So like a health science college and often find yourself with people within your major. Um, You go up a little bit earlier for orientation. And it was such a great opportunity because I think we met maybe like 15 people that were in all of our freshman year speech classes, which was great. You do get a lot more information about your program specifically because you also have a mentor who is older, who is guiding you and your group through this process.
1: We're in the same learning community. That's that's where we met each other.
2: (laughs) I love it. So
0: does that start your freshman year of undergrad?
1: Yeah, we went to school a couple weeks early to move in and start to get to know each other.
0: You guys have about 15 people that were in that learning community with you, and you guys all just got to keep in touch and create this community all the way to grad school. Yep. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: So why did you guys decide to become SLPs? So I decided to become a speech-language pathologist because when I was younger, my older sister was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, and she had a long procedure, and she was a singer before. She still likes to sing, but um, she's – definitely was more passionate about it when she was younger. Throughout her surgery to get her um, like lymph nodes and all of that removed, she was unable to talk or make any noise for a couple weeks. And through this time, she was working with a speech pathologist. And I was able to sit in on her sessions because I was like the annoying little sister that wanted to see everything that was going on because I was scared for my sister. But I fell in love with it. And I loved how you could see her progress from being able to speak to singing again. So it was awesome. And inspirational for me. So that's what made me want to do it. And I was like, this is exactly what I want to do trauma patients with pediatrics. But I feel like that can definitely like pull on your heartstrings a little bit. So I feel like so many people in our field
0: come from a background of like a family member or some sort of connection like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Or you don't know what speech pathology is. And then like, you find out and you're like, I definitely want to do that. Like, yeah. yeah, I feel like you either know it is because you've met someone who've used who has used a speech pathologist, or you don't know about it at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I definitely
2: think I'm more like the latter. I feel like everybody always has these like crazy stories of like how they knew. And that's so wonderful being able to like give back when people have helped your family members. I don't have like, didn't have much exposure to speech pathology before I would say maybe I was in early high school, I was volunteering through this program at my local library. And a lot of the kids had just language deficits. They were really delayed. A lot of them were from like lower socioeconomic statuses. And we ran programs that kind of were having to do with like basic academic skills and really early um, ages, I guess. And the kids would be Bust in from all over Long Island to this library and a lot of businesses would donate things like backpacks and just for like school and readiness and the whole program was ran by an SLP so I kind of heard about it through that and a lot of the stuff we were doing like could have been speech-based activities so uh, that was really my first like big exposure to it what made me think about it a little more and then the more I researched it the more I just fell in love with it.
0: That's awesome. I, like you, had no idea what speech pathology was in any capacity, actually until finished undergrad. Did you both go straight from undergrad into grad school?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we both graduated, I guess, went, went into undergrad in 2019. I had had a lot of credits from high school. So I actually finished the program a year early and went right in. So that's why I'm ahead of Callie, um, like timing wise. Mm-hmm. And then she just graduated this last May.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm newer to it, but we both started at the same time. I didn't want to take any gap time or anything just because I'm used to studying and all of that. And I feel like if I took time off to work or do something in the field, I I wouldn't want to get mo- or wouldn't be able to get motivated to continue. So thought I'd like to keep keep the momentum going and just... Finish it right away.
0: Then, Callie, did you use Raquel as a resource for grad school and how to start shaping and molding what you were going to do and how you were going to prepare?
1: Yes, definitely. I remember asking like crazy things, like what is IBP or EBP because we didn't <laughs> talk about it. It's like, it's evidence based practice, like things like that. Like I just like didn't know, and people kind of when I started talking to people who were in grad school they would always use like acronyms like that and abbreviations and I was like I don't know what any of these mean because I didn't learn them yet so I asked her a lot of silly questions but also questions about like when like what clinic is like I had to get scrubs and I didn't know what scrubs to get like all that all the questions about the program and things that should have probably been explained to us more and like (laughs) what an externship. Like, I don't know. I didn't know what that was like any of that. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely good to have her as a resource with questions like that, as well as just like, how do you balance your life? And like, I like to babysit and like, I'm not going to be able to babysit as much with school and talking to her about like just doing part-time things like date night babysitting and all of that is easier to balance with their studies. So yeah, definitely asking questions about like balancing life in school It's very helpful. She's a good resource. (laughs) I use her a lot more than she uses me. (laughs) I definitely
2: think like not only Callie, but I have like a couple other friends that were still in undergrad. The biggest questions I get asked is kind of like how SIDCAST works. I feel like that was super confusing even for me. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to have a great mentor for my sorority basically tell me every single thing I needed to know about SIDCAST and the whole application process because I think that is a lot more daunting than it needs to be. But I definitely would say all your questions like that you ask currently are very (laughs) things that I was feeling just a year ago, but the application questions overall are definitely the most that I get.
0: Was there a lot of people in your program that graduated early as well? Or was it just like a handful of you and you kind of became the guinea pig for everyone?
2: Yeah, so it actually was more like an independent an independent decision. My program isn't like a three plus two or anything. It's really set up to be a four year program. Mm-hmm. There was me and one other girl I know that was doing it out of maybe like ninety people yeah, in our yeah. year. So it wasn't like this, oh, we're gonna like do this together. It was really like I did it independently and through courses realized this other girl was doing it as well and we we did like use each other as like resources for that but I had taken so many courses of like I would say like the basics or like your gen ed so most of my courses in my undergraduate program were all speech and then I also have a linguistics minor so we're a little bit of that as well what was your journey like to decide
0: on your graduate schools both of you
1: for me, I knew because I my undergraduate was in Pennsylvania. I knew my hometown is in New Jersey and I knew I wanted to be in New Jersey. Um, so I really was only looking at schools in New Jersey. I said I only applied to schools in New Jersey. Um, so I toured two of them. I got an interview for one of them. So I considered that as a tour. I toured the campus the same day as I got an interview. Um, but specifically my school that I'm in now, I fell in love with it. When I visited, I cried because I was like, I could just totally see myself here. Um, I remember feeling the same way about my undergraduate school, just like the feeling of it, even though it sounds kind of cheesy. But the program itself is awesome too. Like her school, there's a clinic on the campus, which is really nice. Um, So that's something I was looking for. Um, And then just like a well-known program. Um, I know it's like not that important, but specifically just because I I don't really ever want to leave New Jersey. As of right now, I was looking for a program that had a good background and it wasn't like a newer program. I wanted one that had been established and worked through the kinks. So I wasn't like one of the starters in the program. Um, But yeah, definitely fell in love with it. And it's closer to my home, too, so I can be close to my family. That's
0: awesome. Those are all important factors to consider, especially if you want to stay in the state that you're in. I did not make that decision. So we'll see how it goes. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) Raquel, what about you? I, As as Kelly said, we were in Pennsylvania for undergrad and I'm originally from Long Island in New York. So that wasn't really, again, where I wanted to be. I didn't realize until I was there how much I missed being on the coast or even just closer to the water. So I did look at a lot of schools on Long Island. I have a bigger family and they all currently live at home. So I wasn't like Jumping at the idea, I think that could have been a lot for me to go right home. So I applied to some schools on Long Island, and then one school in Connecticut, which was Sacred Heart, and it's like, pretty similar to Cali. I did fall in love with it. Our undergraduate school was a public school, and Mammoth is private. Yeah, mm-hmm. so both of our grad schools are private, and I personally feel like I've seen really big differences between the two types of schools. Um, and I kind of love being in a private school setting, even though there's Pros and cons to both, especially the price. But Sacred Heart specifically, I think really drew me in because they have a certificate program, which I've always like looked for ways to kind of make my applications out and just like learn more about a niche in a field. So that's another reason why I went to Sacred Heart. Callie,
0: you're in your first, you just finished up or you're in your first semester?
1: I'm finishing up my first semester uh, this coming Monday. Okay, yeah.
0: So what is something that you've learned in your first semester that has really stuck with you?
1: I've learned that. Hmm. I've learned a lot of things. I feel like I was really nervous, mainly going into it, not knowing anyone. Mm-hmm. I didn't know a single person in my program. So I was really nervous about like getting to know people. Um, but I made an effort every class, like for some reason in my building that they, they use the building because it's during the summer for other things. So the day di- like desks and chairs are always moved around. So every time we go in, there, in like a different formation. So I try to sit somewhere else so I get to talk to someone new. So it's, it's, I try to like force myself to talk to new people and meet new people, which has definitely helped me just feel more comfortable. I get like really nervous when I don't know anyone in a room, but me, forcing myself to meet new people definitely helped. So I learned how to like put myself out there a little bit more.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, especially in undergrad, I didn't really have to do that. Cause as soon as I met Raquel, I was like, yeah, we're best friends. I don't have to like anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've also learned that the professors at my grad school, I seem a little bit more personable and easier to, they like want to help you and they want to see you succeed. I feel like an undergraduate, it was more, it was a bigger school as well um, compared to the graduate program at my grad school. But they seem more personable and they really want to see you succeed. So I've learned to not, not scare away from them. And that they, if you have questions, like it's a lot easier to ask them than I thought it would be. So I was like, "Mm, these scary professors, they're all like doctors and they all have their three C's and all that. So I was definitely a little nervous to talk to them at first, but they all like made an effort to get to know each one of us and memorize our names pretty quickly too, which I was like, that's so cool. Cause we didn't, And a lot of my professors in undergrad didn't really care that much until I started asking a lot of questions, but (laughs) definitely not as scary. So I learned that. So I'm more comfortable going into the fall for sure. The other thing is also, I felt like a big
2: shift for me was in grad school. I feel like the professors treat us as more like peers because often we come out of it with the same degree they do, um, which Mm -hmm. is pretty cool. So I felt like obviously there is... Like re- more respect. This person is, well, more established within the field, but I wouldn't say it was more of like a power hierarchy, which like sometimes always you're going to feel um, in any undergraduate program, I would say, because this is a doctor and you have zero degrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For sure. So I love that feeling of being a little more like collaborative. And I guess you are looked at more of an as an equal in grad school. Raquel,
0: is there anything that you've experienced that has Influence the population or setting that you want to work in that you weren't expecting to feel when you first started?
2: I definitely would say like every experience I have is kind of shaped where I want to be and like really what I'm open to. I was pretty afraid to work with adults at first. It's just not something I've had a lot of experience with. Um, So that was really scary for me to like go in, you're like, okay, you're spending an hour with this person and like I really just didn't know where to start in my first clinicals. We basically started our third week of grad school. You were seeing clients. Um, So that was like a really scary jump for me. Um, But I ended up really enjoying that and building relationships with um, some individuals in like the older population. So that kind of opened my mind to being more flexible. Um, I still don't think like dysphagia based things or really medically complex adults are what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. But I would say I would like to experience it all now, which I wouldn't always have gone and thinking. That's great. So
0: what are some of the things that opened you up to those experiences? Was it clinic? Was it a professor? Was it just a class?
2: I think it was more like building the relationships with the clients I had. Um, Some of them would just like be so excited to see me and like, thank me for what I was doing. And like, I feel like a lot of the times I didn't feel like I was helping so much or when you're not seeing progress because uh, X is however many months out from whatever caused this difficulty for them, it could be like pretty disappointing when you're not really seeing the progress where I feel like often working with students or children, you can see like, oh, they're finally starting to get it over the course of a few weeks where also with some adults who have um, degenerative diseases, you're not really seeing things. But that really like opened me up when they were like, no, we are seeing a difference. Like we are Mm -hmm. feeling like this is working. Like, thank you so much. So I guess maybe not even being thanked, but like knowing that it's working for them and like, I am doing good.
0: Mm -hmm. Like seeing their reaction to the services that you're providing is also really great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a client who never thinks that they're making progress. And every time we go back and we look and we check to see what it is, It's like, oh, my gosh, look, you're doing it. And it's like even those moments, they're just like, oh, I am. That's pretty cool.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
0: Callie, have you had the opportunity to do clinic yet?
1: Not yet. No, I start on the day after or the Wednesday after Labor Day. So (laughs) I'll have patients my first um, my first fall, but in clinic, but not yet. Um, I look forward to it, though. I'm very excited and I'm excited to like wear scrubs, which just sounds so cool to me. Um, And we have like a white coat ceremony. So we wear a white coat. Yeah. So very excited for all that.
0: Do you know what type of client or patient you're going to be getting in the fall?
1: So I have an idea. I don't know the exact client uh, yet, but it's an after school hour. Like it's from 4.30 to Mm 6.30. So I have a feeling it'd be like a younger patient. Um, but I'm definitely open to anything at first. I think it's like, because I think I want to work with kids. I think it'd be cool to have kids first. But then again, it might be cool to have an adult first. So I'm not like set on something. So it'll be a surprise when I do find out. But we do have time to like prepare for the client and research any um, like diagnoses that they already have from past any past therapy and all of that, which is good. So I will get to know my client very well before our first session, but as of right now, I have no clue.
0: (laughs) For your first time in clinic, do they give you a co-clinician or a second year as a mentor?
1: Yeah. So okay. um, before each session on Mondays and Wednesdays is when my clinics are, we have an hour beforehand with the um, supervisor and an hour after with the supervisor just to like talk and meeting. Usually it's 30 minutes after, but an hour before, um, just to prepare beforehand and then like debrief after. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, within that time for the clinic session part um, with the patient, we have one other co therapist that we're working with. So it's me and one other student that's in one of the two cohorts in my graduate program. So it'll be two of us with one client and then we have time before and after to meet with the supervisor, which is nice.
0: That's awesome. Raquel, are you going to be mentoring a first year maybe this year?
2: Um so our program is not set up with mentors typically. Okay. Um I would my first fall I had three clients individually. And I believe one was paired with another student clinician who was also first year in my same cohort. Um, And then when we switched to schools, we were completely independent, didn't have anything paired. Um, But I know that we have a club or organization, I guess, through our graduate program and there it's SLP grow and it's kind of uh, targeted towards outreach. And we are hopefully setting up a mentor program I volunteered for it. We don't have all the news yet, but Mm -hmm. I definitely would love to do that. I think it's such a great way to give back and help ease someone's mind. And I also think it's just great to make connections and easy way to get to know more people.
0: So why don't you talk a little bit about your experience being a clinician for the first time on your own and just weigh in on those experiences and those feelings so that some people who are starting this semester getting their first client might have a little bit of info.
2: Yeah. So I think like, I think thinking about it beforehand was definitely scarier than actually doing it. I remember like not being able to sleep. I had to like take melatonin because I was so nervous, like how it would go. Mm-hmm. Um, and like what, like how awkward I feel like I would be. Um, but once you get in the room and you get past the first couple minutes and like start to get to know your patient and target the goals that they're working towards, it really becomes such an easy flow. I know that every program is different, but our clinicals, our campus is set up with six treatment rooms and they all have video cameras. So your supervisor watches you alongside your peers at the same time. So you're never really alone, Mm -hmm. even if you're the only one treating them, which is nice. So if you're really stuck on something or they need this additional cue and you're not sure where to take it, they always are easy to like step in, which was super great. I think my first supervisor, it was so just well-rounded and just knew exactly what she was doing. I felt like whenever she was in the room, I was like at ease. And she, I would say, had like high expectations. But because of that, I learned so much from her. So definitely scary. It gets easier, I think, every semester. Um, And every time you go into a new clinical setting, it's going to feel a little nerve-wracking at first. But if you're with the population, once I think even just in a new setting, but with the same population, that does definitely get easier. I don't feel myself like freaking out as much beforehand.
0: My favorite part is getting to the level where I don't feel like I have to get to campus an hour and a half before a session. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I can just
0: get
2: there 15 minutes early.
0: Yeah. But in the beginning, I, it's like two hours. <laughs>
2: like, yeah. I'm I, I was leaving <laughs> my house at like for a 9.30 session, which was so unnecessary.
0: I had a a client at 8.30 a.m. and I would show up on campus at like (laughs) 7. Yeah, I'd be like, okay, what am I doing? Especially with a kid, for me, that was really intimidating because kids can get bored so easily. I thought the kid was just gonna walk out on me. (laughs) So I didn't know if I was gonna be ready to engage a child for an hour like an hour just feels so long with a child who isn't aware of why they're there (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
2: so definitely it could be very daunting and I think that like you're right to speak to like kids do get very bored but then it's like adults like I feel like they're a little bit more aware of when they're wrong so the sessions Mm -hmm. can take so many turns based on like performance and interest and an hour is definitely long for kids typically so I could see that being very overwhelming.
0: Oh yeah, I think I got every single toy in our clinic room. I was I was like sorry for anyone else who was a kid, but my kid needs these toys because I don't know how to entertain them without. I actually asked for him again so clearly. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Let's think about this semester coming up, especially for you, Callie, since it is your First semester with clinic, but then also your first like semester, semester, not summer, which I like to think summer is a little bit more enjoyable mentally, even if it's just as many classes. But are there any experiences that you're looking forward to?
1: I look forward to getting to know the people in my program a little bit better because of the fact that we have, we're working together with a client for the first set of clinicals. I'm a little bit nervous to like, see how we work and like bounce off each other kind of thing. And like one of us do an activity and the other person take notes, like for that balance, I feel like it might be a little difficult at first, but I like the, I like the fact that we are going to be working with someone, um, just especially starting off just cause it's a little bit less nerve wracking. And mm-hmm. if your activity doesn't do so well, you can like recover while the other person's doing their activity. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um. Also like a good way to get to know each other. I'm going to be living right now. I commute like 35 minutes. It's not a long commute, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be living like eight minutes away from campus in the fall, just because I wanted to be a little bit closer because I'm there for longer hours and just a change from living at home. So I think it'll be good to like be with people in my program. I'm living with another girl in my cohort and like couple houses down from us is another group of girls in my cohort. So I'm excited to like be closer to people and have more study study group time because right now if I want to have a study group, it's like 35 minute drive. So I don't ever like feel like it's that necessary, but living closer to each other, it'll be much easier to learn from each other and and see what their interests are because I'm like definitely more flexible with my interests and what I want to do. So I think it'd be cool to like get to know other people and their stories and why they wanted to be a speech pathologist and learn different like areas of it. Cause I feel like as of right now, like I don't know too much about different areas of it. Like we were just talking about like breastfeeding yesterday. Like I have no idea anything about that, but I would like to learn like more about it because I feel like I'd like that. So I like babies. so It is <laughs>
0: um, the best to live with someone in your cohort, at least from my experience, yeah. my roommate is in my cohort also very much into um, feeding and breastfeeding. And uh, there's something <laughs> called a, A CLC, it's a certified lactation consultant, and you can be an SLP and a CLC simultaneously. It's really cool. But I hope everything works out with living with someone in your cohort because if it does, it is literally the best.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. Definitely looking forward to that. It's just a different vibe than living alone or at my parents' house, too.
0: Yeah. And you can, everything, it sounds bad, but like everything can be about school and you can Mm -hmm. make jokes about it at the same time. Like there's always someone next to you who gets what you're talking about. (laughs)
1: exactly no one here knows what i'm talking about ever so (laughs) it'll definitely be good to have someone to really bounce off ideas and complaints and all that i'm sure
0: and getting to run home for lunch since you're eight minutes away
1: yes like if we hadn't
0: we're about eight minutes also so if we have an hour break between classes we would like go home and just sit on the couch for 30 minutes (laughs) exactly (laughs) Raquel, is there anything that you are looking forward to this semester? It's your second year. You're
2: wrapping it up. You're almost there. Ooh, um, <laughs> I think like I'm looking forward to having a lot more of my time be clinic-based because it is really what the real world is like. You're not going to have a 10-hour day of all classes. Mm-hmm. So yes, I still have classes at night, but it will just feel more like, I guess, a full-time working SLP. So that I'm pretty excited about. And also uh, my certificate program, our clinicals is for this fall. So I do interprofessional work with an OT partner two days of the week. All of my sessions will be paired, which will be like really awesome. That's um, so cool. Yeah, I'm really excited to learn about that. I did a lot of some, I would say some co-treating this summer, but my certificate is literacy based. So we're gonna be targeting a lot of literacy skills. With the OTs, I'm, again, hoping to work in a school. So learning more about reading and writing is like where I'm not sure like how to help a lot of students with that and like small strategies, just even like using a slant board or certain adaptive tools in my sessions could be really useful and beneficial for the students. So I'm excited to learn about that from my peers as well.
0: Have you ever been on a diagnostic
2: team? So I've done diagnostic like diagnostics by myself or with a partner um mm-hmm. I've never done one like interprofessionally but that definitely would be very cool yeah what okay. is your setup like for that in your program
0: so we we just we have like a team of four grad students who just do it together um, and so I was just curious if other universities have diagnostic teams like that or if it's on a case-by-case basis where a kid comes in and you diagnose individually and you do assessments on them in that way?
2: Yeah, so for our program, it's every semester you have like a minimum of one um, in-person, like full come-in, two-hour block time. So I've done, I think, three at this point of like full in-person things. We've done a lot of like video-based or of course SIMU case Um assessments, but our diagnostics are only done in pairs, or sometimes they're done individually depending on scheduling. But we have never, I don't think our program is set up to do any more than two SLPs assessing a client at once. But what's pretty cool is because our program is linked with our OT program and PT program, I had a client come in and they basically had some lasting effects of a stroke with both like cognitively and some physical things. And she, her goal was just to really driving was super important to her. And Sacred Heart has this awesome um, like driving simulator. So that was like really cool to just be able to recommend her, but like stay within Sacred Heart's um, medical based resources was cool. That is
0: incredible that you guys get to work with an OT team. That's just so unique, I mean i don't I don't know a ton of programs, so I can't say that's nothing I've ever heard of. Did you know that your program offered that when you first were looking at it that they had this
2: work with OT? I did because of the certificate. I was looking at it. I didn't realize how much it would be, mm-hmm. but it again like is such a great resource. I think really in any setting, maybe not private practice, but like hospital setting, school setting, any bigger collaborative. Practice, you're going to be working with an interprofessional team. So, the more experience you get, the better. And everybody Mm -hmm. has their specialties and can help you in so many different ways. Amazing. And
1: going off of that, my, my graduate program has like a graduate building. It's not on like the main campus, but in the building, they have OT, PT, PA. And I think graduate nursing in the same building. So that was like very attractive to me. Like she was saying, like the more, the sooner you get the experience of working like alongside OTs and PTs and all that, just because you will be in the real world, it's definitely a good experience. And it was an attractive quality for me in the grad school itself because of the opportunity for the interprofessional collaboration and even just like passing each other in the hallway and just like. You could hear them, their classes, learning about, like their lectures are so interesting. Just walking past, there's one on the way to the bathroom in my campus right now. Every time I walk past, I'm like, can I listen to a little bit of their lecture? Like, it's so cool listening and thinking about how my lectures are similar to theirs. It's very cool.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm
1: super jealous. That Mm -hmm. sounds so (laughs) cool.
0: (laughs) Raquel, you had mentioned SimuCase. Callie, have you heard of SimuCase?
1: Yeah, we got assigned a couple, but there was like some trouble setting it up, but I have an account and haven't haven't had to do any yet, so.
0: <laughs> okay, Raquel, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about SimiCase? I feel like it's one of those things no one knows that they're going to be doing in grad school until they're in grad school.
2: SimiCase is an online program where they have a bunch of um, simulations. Essentially, they have cases based on real life people, and you are either doing a diagnosis or you are treating them. So you get to sign this case, you have to go through their case history, perform some assessments, do some questioning, talk to collaborate- collaborators, and also then basically make recommendations off of that. So I definitely would say there's positives and negatives to it. It is a great way to be exposed to a lot of the big nine areas, which you might not get as much exposure to. I know like stuttering is not super, super common in all age ranges to be looking for speech treatment. So that is something great. Also voice for me. I did a few voice in new cases, but it is very time consuming. The cases all have minimum time that you need to be on them for. So maybe something that in person, an assessment might take me 25, 30 minutes takes me a lot longer on SIMU case because I have to do some multiple choice with it while then also filling out the record form and Mm -hmm. doing a lot of things at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, There's two modes. So there's the assessment mode, which you don't really get feedback until the end or learning mode. I'm very lucky. My program does a lot in the learning mode because they think that it's better to have the feedback, but I have had a couple in assessment mode and that's not very fun, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but it really is a great resource. It's just like, mm-hmm. I would say, it could be frustrating at times.
0: I think for someone who hasn't done it yet, my advice is sometimes the questions don't. So what you do is you might select the type of question you would ask to a client or their, their caregiver. And sometimes one of the things that they talk about is if it's an appropriate question Sometimes their selection are not – I wouldn't ask someone that. It doesn't feel appropriate. And then other times something I think might be appropriate, they're like, it's not appropriate. So sometimes, like, not getting too frustrated with that, it's just semantics.
2: But (laughs) There's ones where I'm like, there's no way that it's this question. Like, I would never ask this. This is Mm -hmm. awful. Like, in one case, it'll be like, ask this. and the next case, it's like, that's completely insensitive. And I'm like, I thought that in the first place. But (laughs) I asked it, like, for this other one and I got – good points for it.
0: For sure. So how do your programs utilize SIMU case? Some of them, for example, in my program, we are assigned, let's say six SIMU cases in parallel to classes that we're taking now. So for example, if we're taking an ASD course, we might get three cases for ASD. And then we have a debrief with a supervisor. Some schools I've heard use them if a client doesn't come in for an assessment, it replaces the assessment they were gonna do. So what are some of the ways that your schools use them? Whoever wants to start. Um,
1: so for my school, we haven't we didn't get to use it, but the layout was supposed to be for this this doing a clinical methods class right now. So I'm basically just learning all about clinic and all of the background we need to know before we start in the fall, which is a good class to take. But along with that, every class like, which is once a week, we're supposed to be assigned to case assignments, um, both on learning mode to do like while we're doing this. So kind of like as homework assignments. And then by the end of the semester, we would have done 12 SIMU case assignments. And it also would count towards the 400 hours that we'd have mm-hmm. to get. Um, and then also, like you said, if a client doesn't show up for a therapy session, they use SimuCase to make up for the hours that we should have had with the client, um, just like, so we don't fall behind or anything. But other than that, those are the only two things that I know of as of right now, even though I haven't actually had experience with it yet.
2: Yeah, I would say mine is set up pretty similar to yours where they're partnered like with a class. So if I'm taking a voice course, we're going to have three or four assigned semi-cases for that during the semesters. I had a lot more my first year I think this summer I did two. We always pre-brief and debrief. I think that's a part of receiving the 400 hours. Um, So like be able to get credit, you need to have that in person, Mm -hmm. like talk about it a little bit. This summer we did the two and then we did like an entire diagnostic report on it. And then we did like practice videos of like communicating the results to um, a caregiver, so we do sometimes a little bit more, and other times we just kind of talk about the case and get quick exposure and or even it's just nice, like I think I've done a lot of c l q t same cases for some reason. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I'm pretty well versed in the c l q t but so our pre- our debriefs for that are pretty quick. We are able to do it based on how many hours you're like lacking, but we don't do it every single time if a client isn't here because of the Necessity for the prebrief and debrief, mm-hmm. um, but I, I what I'm wondering, what is your hours like? How many hours have you accrued? I guess from your first year, like does your school set a goal for that? So by the time that we start our externships, so I told you ours is a little
0: bit different. We have an entire semester of externships. We're supposed to have a, at least 180. Okay, I have 260. Mm-hmm. At this point. Um, so I think that they've taken down the amount of SIMU cases that our cohort has to do because our cohort has had a lot of hours. And that's because the cohort prior to us had too many students. Mm-hmm. They, uh, there was m- more people than they had expected to be in the program. So they had a cohort of 56. And we have a okay. cohort of 30 yeah, that makes sense. So they were like, oh, we need less in cases now. <laughs> <laughs> so this semester, I think I only have six assignments versus I think in the spring I had like 12.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they're fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's jump into Cali. We're getting ready to start another school year. In the next couple of weeks, you have already started yours. What advice do you think you could give to some first years who are starting either now in their first couple of weeks or starting in the next the next few weeks
1: mm-hmm. i'd say just make sure you have time to yourself either whether that be like you have to wake up earlier in the morning and just sit outside and read a little bit or sit on tiktok or something just take time and schedule time make an appointment with yourself to have self-care time whether that be a workout or doing nothing and just sitting in swimming or something like whatever you like to do um definitely schedule a time like that i i'm a big planner so i schedule out and like time block myself i use google calendar and like plan out every hour of my life that way um i don't i don't know if i recommend that cuz i'm pretty like pretty crazy about it but definitely yeah definitely recommend like time blocking kind of just to make sure you say like, this is a time I'm going to be working my schoolwork when this time is up. And if I haven't done anything, I'm going to do it tomorrow. The rest of the nights for me, like I usually say like after seven, I, I try to, I'm going to have classes later, but homework time, like I like to get earlier just because for me, I work better earlier in the day. I'm an early riser and I like to go to bed early. So my bedtime's pretty early, but I like shut down at a certain time. So I, I know like for me, my, my self-care time can be later. So I schedule like my schoolwork earlier, but definitely setting aside time just to do what you want to do because your mental health will definitely play into your grades and how you perform.
0: For sure. Something I heard from what you were saying is also like self-awareness about when you're able to do things or when you're able to provide for yourself better and or study better. If you're not going to be successful at 11 p.m., there's no reason yeah. to try studying at 11 p.m.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had a roommate that would like set time aside from like 8 to 11 every night to study. And I was like, I don't know how you do that. I was, I would just get so frustrated. I was like, why are you going to the library? It's 8 o'clock at night. You can just do this earlier <laughs> in the day. And then I realized I was like, for me, like once it gets dark out, my brain kind of shuts off. But for her, like that's her prime time. Like mm-hmm. that's when she's the best studier and she like absorbs the most information. So people are just different. So definitely figure that out and what works best for you. Try out both of them and figure out or multiple there's multiple options but try to figure out what time of day you feel like your peak is and your energy level is. Raquel do you have any study tips
0: now that you're in your second year you've been taking classes you've been in clinic what are some things that have been helpful for you?
2: I think I study pretty similarly now that I did in undergrad what I like to do I don't like this is a pretty unique way. Like, I don't really know if it's that beneficial, but it's been helping me always. So I used to handwrite all my notes. I feel like in grad school, there's just even more information. I have a hard time keeping up with that. So I will just take notes on the lectures, which I think is helpful as well, because I have all the information that they're providing on the PowerPoints and then everything I've heard or thought about myself that I've like made connections to. So then let would say about two weeks before a test, I start writing everything out on computer paper with no lines because I need to make things like visually like aesthetic a little bit mm-hmm. and it helps me be able to picture them. Um, I got some of my friends into doing this and then once we all finished our study guides we basically would spend like Friday, Saturday, Sunday before our big exams just talking about it and then after we went through all the notes made sure we had all the same information we would form everything into a case-based question. I think every professor is different, but a lot of ours or our more difficult tests were cases. Like this is your case. What diagnoses are you considering? What assessments would you perform? Mm -hmm. Let's say these are your results. What treatments would you use? What if this happened? What recommendations would you make? So making those questions I think was the most helpful because now in grad school, it's not like what does this mean? What is syntax? Like, mm-hmm. So it's definitely different in that sense, I guess. But I know people that just like to rewrite everything independently. I find it very helpful to talk about things with people. I prefer a very small group in undergrad. I feel like me and Callie would just do this exact same thing mm-hmm. just with each other. So anything more than like two other people for me is too big because <laughs> I get lost. But Definitely, I think if you can find someone that matches your study style, it will be so, so helpful.
0: I do exactly the same thing. That's exactly (laughs) how our group studies. There's five of us, but we split up into – so there's six. And then we split up into – so we all make sure we have the same information, same thing, write it down. Split into groups of two. Study independently. Switch groups in case anyone talked about it somehow differently. And we're like, oh, I like that wording better. (laughs) So then we switch based off of that. Then we all come together again and make up our own study questions. And then it's like a whole quizlet that everybody has.
2: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Very, very similar. (laughs) (laughs) I think the other thing, which is like very probably weird, but I make a lot of like acronyms that like are not
0: that they're inappropriate because that's what I do
2: yeah like and they help (laughs) me remember things I'm like in my head I'm saying these things and I'm like I probably shouldn't be (laughs) oh yeah
0: that's the only way to remember the cranial nerves come on
2: yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) exactly
0: maybe you don't write the actual acronym that you're thinking about on your test like mine mine will be just wildly inappropriate or sometimes I'll just blurt out words for no reason that don't make any sense but somehow it makes everyone laugh and so we remember it that way yeah. <laughs> so here's the best grad school debate: iPad or computer.
1: I could start with this. So as <laughs> as I like, I was just starting school. I was a little bit like nervous. I just got a computer for Christmas, and I start school in a couple months. And now I'm like, hmm, should I have gotten an iPad and a computer, or like, and a less expensive computer? Like, I don't need this new Mac if I'm gonna have an iPad. But Talking through, I was like, I feel like I should try to just use the computer for a little while. And then we found someone's old iPad laying around the house. It's like an iPad 2, which is like really, really old. But I like the idea of having the option to have, I haven't used it for this reason yet, but I like the idea of having like a second monitor Um, I guess I kind of have because I like pull up documents like we're doing like a research article critique right now. So I pull up the article on the iPad and then I can like write on my computer because I already have two things open on my computer. So it's kind of like a good third monitor as Mm -hmm. of right now. Um, I feel like it could come in handy, like just the iPad for like drawing diagrams and stuff. But I just I don't really know how much I'm going to have to do that as of right now. I'm not sure, but. So, so far, I'm pretty 50-50 on it. I don't know how helpful (laughs) it is, but I like my computer, too, because I think I'm a fast typer and I could never type on an iPad, so I would have to write. But I think I like writing on paper, too. So, yeah, pretty split right now. But I'm trying out both to see if I like the iPad. And then if I do like it, I feel like I should probably buy a better one. It's not from 2005.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Raquel, what's your way in? Okay, so <laughs> I would say I'm pretty unique that I don't, I have an iPhone, I love my phone, but I don't really love Mac computers. <gasps> I grew up like, on the Dell Windows 5, I would say I'm like one of the only people in my program with that. Um, but because I'm into Dell, they have touchscreen and multifunctional laptops. So my laptop is a tablet that's touchscreen, and it's also a computer, and it's cheaper than an Apple Um, And I really, the main thing that makes me not just want to transfer is I'm so used to the system and how the computer works and everything's organized. And I also feel that a lot of the programs that I've had to download in terms of like salt and I use Pratt for research I was completing with one of my professors. Mm -hmm. It's actually set up more for Dell computers. So there's less that I have to do to work it, which I've always liked. People usually have a lot more (laughs) issues with that. Um, So I don't do an iPad. I split my screen, half notes, half PowerPoints. And I find that really, really helpful. I also am like really bad at remembering to charge things. So I know that that would just be awful for me. My phone's never charged. So (laughs) there's no way I would have my laptop and my iPad (laughs) charged together. So I'm a laptop girl. I do handwrite Sometimes, obviously, when I'm studying. But again, that's a little difficult to keep up with. I have a lot of friends that use Notability Awesome, Yeah, I like to use it like when we quiz each other. If there is a group of three, we like write our answers down and then hold up our iPads. So that's like fun. I just, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't, I don't feel the need to like relearn anything because I've been using my Dell forever. Um, I got this one for undergrad and it still works great. And I don't feel the need to put in more effort to learn a new system. <laughs> I totally
0: agree. I don't think grad school is the time to try to learn a whole new thing at all. I mm-hmm. have my iPad. I only really love it for, I have all my textbooks on here. I have any of my articles on here. So it's really easy to highlight or I can write my notes just immediately into it, which I like too. Also, I can turn, I guess you can turn off your text messages on your iPad but they I I don't and so they're always like
2: ding 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 ding. yeah yeah (laughs) that's one more thing I have like no self-control so I definitely would be texting during class if I had a Mac one time I one of my professors like I had an experience where she like thought I was like texting all class because just because I was taking notes and no one else really was it was like we were going over like billing and coding so people were like And she was like, "Please." She looked at me specifically and was like, "Please stop texting. Like, I can't tell what you're doing. Please put your laptops away." And I was like, "I was like, girl, I don't know if you can see this. This is (laughs) Dell. I cannot text on this." I was like, "You can like
1: Google Chat."
2: Yeah, let's be real. (laughs) I don't even know if you can. Can you do that?
1: Yeah, you can. But I feel like the professor wouldn't have even known that. Yeah, I'm (laughs) like.
2: Del, I'm not
0: texting you. <laughs> no, the professor would not have known that. Yeah. Kel, <laughs> do you have advice for second year grad students who are just like, okay, we're getting into the second year. How do I get myself motivated? How do I keep myself going?
2: Ah, oh, this is tough because I think that I need this advice, whatever. <laughs> I think it's just like, we're just so close to the finish line. So just keep pushing through like in reality you're working towards a goal so i feel like if you're ever losing motivation you have to remember why you started and why you're there i think classes wise your second year is always going to be a little easier regardless of your program Mm -hmm. Um, so focusing on your clinic and just remembering that i think like during the clinic sometimes i get like not disappointed in myself but if a session doesn't go how i want i'll be a little hard on myself and i just have to remember like every opportunity good or bad is a learning opportunity So I know like with aggressive behaviors in schools, I've had not difficulty with behavior management, but more like I was afraid of the situations. So that's something like I have a lot of growth to do in, but that keeps me motivated to keep going when it it does get difficult because I'm like, this person would not have been able to manage the situation as well when they were in grad school either. Mm -hmm. So just got to keep chugging along and I'm hoping to take a little bit of time off after grad school and travel so that's also keeping me motivated as well
0: that's awesome you want to go into a school you said right Mm -hmm. so that makes sense you have like naturally you'll have the time because school doesn't start Uh, yet yeah
2: exactly that's kind of what I'm hoping always thinking
0: I see you Raquel always thinking (laughs)
2: let's
0: talk about your guys' social media what made you want to create this account and then what inspires you to do it together
1: I don't really know. <laughs> uh, I can just speak this a little bit. It was
0: all Raquel's idea, huh?
1: No, <laughs> no, no, one day we were just like, hmm. Oh, oh, I actually remember. Okay. I sent, I sent. So this, um, this girl, Caitlin Page, I have no idea who she is, but saw her Instagram. um, And she went to one of the grad schools that I remember Raquel applied to. And I was like, this could be us. Or this, I said this could be you specifically. <laughs> yeah, she was like, it was one of the schools she had applied to, and I was like, she's so cool. Like she, ha- she seems so like put together. And then you were like, yeah, yeah she she posts a lot of like very great content, and she lives on Long Island. So I
2: have been to a lot of places she goes. So it's always like cool to see people that are SLPs because it's such a like. I feel like it is a niche area. Yeah. like it's really not like mm-hmm. education. It's Every school. So, Mm -hmm. seeing SLPs and then getting into like a little more of the lifestyle stuff. I think both of us have also been really into social media for a long period of time. And I never, I guess I was like more nervous to start by myself because I'm like in grad school. I'm like, oh my God, what if I can't keep up with it? Or if I don't post for a month, that's bad. But we have kind of been able to like, one person will take over this side. One person takes over this. Like there are certain things that I don't love doing about it and that Callie kind of picks up and I would maybe say the other side. It's always nice for grammar checks and stuff like that. But I think it's also just like another way since we're in a long distance friendship now. <laughs> like always keeps us talking. I would say we were like texting 24-7. Most of the time it's about other things, but it's nice to like have this also that's keeping us in touch as well, I would say.
1: Yeah. It's a good balance right now too, because like I'm barely getting that much content with school. Like I'm just preparing for clinics. I'm just like learning about things, bloodborne pathogens and all that. So like I have nothing to post school wise. And then Raquel is like learning so much cool stuff and has a lot of cool diagrams to post and all of that. So it's cool. She can send me a diagram and be like, can you put this in a Canva post? Cause I'm not learning anything like this. That's nice. Cause we are like kind of going off each other, like filling in the empty spaces that we both don't have at the time. So if I go on vacation for a week, Raquel just posts and I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad the account still, is still getting used So you both really like it a lot. But it's a good balance and it's fun to meet other people in the field. I know it's like my personal Instagram page. My whole Explorer feed is cake videos and like babies. <laughs> random things but the speech page that explores all like professional slps even like there's some like nursing content on Mm -hmm. there and it's so so cool and like more specific focus my whole feed is all speech pathologists and people like us that are like speechies to be and all that Mm -hmm. it's definitely a good experience to get to know people in the field and and again like see all the different types of things you can do as an slp because we don't really get told them
0: (laughs) for sure i love that there's also like ot pt yeah. Um, all of it's kind of geared to you too. Mm-hmm. What do you guys hope to achieve with your social media presence?
2: Yeah. So I think like our goals kind of change, like as we develop our page, there's not like one end all be all, but I kind of think we like it like that because that means there's no ending to it. So mm-hmm. we're really like looking to see wherever it takes us. We love to do a lot of lifestyle stuff as well. Um, but grad school is such a big part of our life right now. I think my main goal like in doing this is to share what I've learned and we can like share our experiences and make it hopefully a little less scary for other people going into it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe in the future, it helps with like resources. And I don't know, I feel like I could have a million crazy ideas, but like speaking them out loud is a little scary of like what you really want in the future. Yeah. Mm Yeah. So it's pretty like up in the air.
1: I like the idea of like, again, I just, I feel like I didn't know that much. Like I knew I wanted to be a speech pathologist because of the situation with my sister, but I was like, I don't really know anything about grad school. Knowing that there's a CF after it, I was like, don't know what that is. I was like, you can't just do grad school and then go work. Didn't make any sense to me. So just (laughs) kind of creating a platform that people that were in my position that didn't know anything, but knew they wanted to be SLP, kind of like. Walking them through as we're going through, I think is really nice, but I think it'd be good to kind of look at our page and just kind of follow along and be like, oh, she just like I just did my first oral Mac exam the other like on a classmate, and I was like, this is so cool, I had so much fun doing it, such a good first step, so basic, but first step. So I think it's it'd be cool to watch us as we're learning, Mm -hmm. have the people looking at our page also learn and see what we're doing outside of school, also like the lifestyle stuff. I think is a good way to say. We're doing stuff outside of school, and you need to be doing stuff that you like to do outside of school, which is really important.
0: <laughs> totally. I think one of the coolest parts about these ventures is it's also a time capsule in a way. Mm-hmm. You get to reflect on where you came from and where you end up. I know if I go back and listen to just my first episode of the podcast, which wasn't even that long ago, I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. so different. <laughs> get to look back on, definitely. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it's super cool. So, is there any last bits of advice that you guys want to give to any future
2: students? I would say like you will have a life as long as you make the time for it and it it's like what you make out of it. Grad school is like what you put in, you get out. You can be uninvolved and go to all the basic things, not volunteer for anything and just have a very you get a degree at the end of it and then go on your separate ways or you can get involved and do research and volunteer for things and be a mentor. So, Yes, it is a lot of time. When you have that time that is reserved for grad school, put in as much as you can. But also remember that you are still living through this two years. You're not just a student. You're still a person. So taking that time to balance your life is extremely important.
1: Definitely. I'd say... Someone told me this recently. I was elected president of my initial chapter at my school, the National Student Speech-Language Hearing Association. Congratulations. Thank you. One of my aunts is a speech-language pathologist, and I told her about it, and she was like, you have to keep doing things like that, that are volunteering for things, putting yourself out there, like, reach out to a professor and see if they need any help with any research or anything outside of a graduate assistantship because they will like they all are doing other things other than they're they're not just professors like they're doing other things as well so kind of putting yourself out there and remembering that like when you're getting a job they're not going to be like what's your gpa they're going to see what is your experience what are the types of clients that you perform the best with and what have you done outside of graduate school like we know what you're learning everyone's doing the same thing in graduate school but sort of like putting yourself out there aside from that and like volunteering for things and doing extra observing and shadowing and all of that so definitely doing other things other than just grad school
0: for sure we're gonna go to our wrap-up section unless there's anything else you guys want to mention no all good okay great well, let's start with raquel What is your go to movie, book, or TV series that you consume when you need a mood boost?
2: Definitely the summer I turned pretty. I've watched the first season (laughs) like eight (laughs) times. The second season is still coming out and I've already watched it twice. (laughs) Feel happy. Gets a little fuzzy on the
0: inside. (laughs) I know. It's just like one of those, ooh, okay. I don't know why at 30 years old that I'm watching this and I'm just like, oh, little 14-year-olds in love. (laughs) 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 But uh, yeah, Summer I Turned Pretty is amazing. I saw it in theaters (laughs) because Amazon gave away these free tickets to go see it in theaters. Oh my my gosh. I went with all my friends. Callie, what about you?
1: So I'm not a huge reader, but I recently started reading the book called 101 Essays to Change the Way You Think. And I really like that. It's good. I'm really not a good reader. I've never read. My sister's the reader. I'm not the reader. Like I am horrible at it. I forget everything I read, but (laughs) short essays and it's like pages and some of them are bullet points and it's just like affirmational quotes, most of them, um, and just like motivating things. So like a page a day when i feel like it or like three pages on days that I have skipped a couple like it's really nice just mood booster and it makes you think kind of be where your feet are and don't think too much about because I'm such a crazy planner <laughs> thinking so much about like the present is really like toxic or the like future is really toxic <laughs> for me. so thinking think about the present is much better so it's a good reminder to think about the present other than that I like shows like Love Island and Married at First Sight and all that
0: but <laughs> I absolutely love it where can our listeners find and follow you guys?
2: Uh, so our Instagram, if you want to like tag it below, it's speeches to be with the underscore. We are not really on any other platforms right now because this is newer to us. But yeah, that's like our main handle where you can find us. And we do have connections to some other platforms through there, but not our main accounts for that.
0: Amazing. Yes. I will for sure link it in the show notes. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> Alrighty guys, thank you so very much for coming on today. This was so much fun. It was really great to talk to people in different programs and learn about all of our programs and how they're similar or how they're different. I loved the perspective you guys have for working with OTs. That's super, super cool. I know Caliers is a little different. They're in the same building, but maybe you'll get to work with them on something. Who knows? And awesome. thank you so yes, much for you. having
2: us on. This is so great. Like very similar to what you said. Like I loved hearing about your program. I think we're at like very different parts of it as well. So it's super great to hear about your experience and how things are different and what we share and some <laughs> of
1: oh, study methods really work
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, for having us.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And I will catch you all next week. Thank you all so much for listening to speeching It Real. Please help us reach a bigger audience by rating us five stars and dropping a review. You can contact me anytime on Instagram at speechingitreal or via email at speechingitreal at gmail.com. You can reach out with any questions, comments, or recommendations.